Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans, for fans. My name is Ryan. Jalen is unfortunately not going to be here in this episode today. He is feeling under the weather today. We have a big episode today. We are are breaking down the G League season. We're giving our overall thoughts on the season itself, including the playoffs, getting into a lot of different topics like the call-ups, like the G League Ignite team. We're also going to be talking about the Rio Grande Valley Vipers winning the G League Championship. So we have a lot to get into, which is why we cannot do this episode alone. We are bringing back our friend from G League TV, now working for the G League. Please welcome back to the podcast, Jeffrey Key. Jeffrey, how you doing, man? Ryan, I appreciate you having me on again, man. This is number three, I believe. This is the third time. It's the hat trick. (laughs) yeah so first of all how have you been and what have you been doing since your last visit on this podcast everything's been great you know actually i just wrapped up being at the g league playoffs and the g league finals and it was a heck of an experience for me tell you the truth because i've watched it so many years on tv you know since i started following the g league around like 2015 or so i've watched pretty much every single year from the start of the regular season to the end of finals, you know? And so to be there and to experience that firsthand was an unbelievable experience for me. And so, you know, I spent a week and a half in RGV with the Vipers. Before that, I was in Motor City. And then before that, I was with the Capital City Go-Go. And just, you know, being in their locker rooms and and seeing, like, firsthand what it's like to, you know, see the day-to-day operations of a G League team, and especially them as they're going on these runs was incredible. And one thing I'll say, like being around the Vipers is, you know, it was my first time in Texas, right? And I didn't realize, you know, RGV is like eight hours away from Houston, right? It's the Houston, it's the Houston Rockets affiliate. So I figured it was like semi-close. When I got to RGV, I realized it was an eight-hour drive away. So it's nowhere near the vicinity, you know? And one thing about RGV is that in that area, they don't have any professional sports, right? So everybody in that community rallies around the Vipers. And I thought that was so interesting because, you know, if you go to these G League games, a lot of times the crowds are hit or miss. You know, you might go to a game where it's a ton of a ton of little kids and maybe they get a free ticket or maybe the, the parents want them to come there, you know, to enjoy some cheap basketball, right? A, a, a basketball for a cheap price. And then a lot of times it's like, you know, there could be just a couple hundred people there, you know, some fans, but a mixture of like family and friends. But in RGV, I mean, the first off, the arena is huge. So it, it felt like we were at the Toyota Center, right? There were fans all the way at the bottom to all the way at the top. And I'm not talking about just fans who bought a ticket. I mean, fans who were invested in the game, wearing T-shirts, wearing jerseys, like knew the players, you know what I mean? Like it was it's just an incredible environment. I know that was ramped up, of course, because it was the playoffs and the finals, but I had never been in an, in a G League arena like that where the people who were there from the staff to the fans were just so invested in what was going on. So I have to ask you this because you mentioned earlier you were in the locker rooms and especially in the RGV locker room where you were up close and personal with Gerald Green who just won an iPhone 10. Is that true? iPhone 10? Was it an iPhone 10? I don't know about that, but I'll say this, you know, being <laughs> around Gerald Green 
was an awesome experience too because you know in my eyes first off he's a 2k goat right anybody who played 2k back in like 2016 2017 i don't have the game anymore but back when i was playing it i mean that guy was a cheat code and his rating was only like a 75 but he was good for like 30 points every time you played with him but being around joe green was an awesome experience because you know he didn't play nearly as much in the playoffs and the finals as he probably would have liked he was starting off the year averaging 20 points a game but the thing about Gerald was that he was such um, a prominent member in that locker room. You know, after every game, I was in their locker room. Before every game, I was in their locker room. And he would talk to the team. And, and when the OG talks, everybody listens, you know? I thought that was so interesting. Like, you know, after they won the Western Conference Finals, everyone was jumping up and down, celebrating, throwing water bottles. He was the calm presence in the room that was like, whoa, 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 guys. You know, I've been here before, right? Um we're two games away from our goal, two games, you know, in the finals away from our goal. The job's not complete yet, right? Let's calm down, right? Let's, you know, let's regroup. Let's celebrate it for a little bit, but we still have work to do. And then after they won game one, which they killed the Blue Coats in game one, they actually killed him in game two as well. But after game one, you know, the team is like, one win, one win. Gerald Green, again, is the guy that's like, hey, listen. The hardest thing to do is to close out a team, right? That's the hardest thing to do in sports is to close them out because they're going to come out hungry, which they did in game two of the Bluecoats. And so, yeah, being around him, you know, like I said, he didn't play nearly as much as probably he and the fans would have hoped, but he saw a major impact on the court when he was there and then in the locker room for sure. Yeah, and you talk about a guy like Gerald Green, 36 years old. He's been around the NBA for a very long time, and it seemed like this this chance that he had to play with the Vipers – was like a wake-up call for some NBA teams. Hey, if you need a guy, I'm here. And I wanted to clarify on that post, it was actually your iPhone 10. Yes, 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 right. That was, so that, I just, on that post, I was in the locker room during the celebration and I was holding up my iPhone 10, you know, filming the celebration. And then Gerald Green comes and talks into the phone, you know what I mean? And he was so hyped and stuff like that. That was just a, a you know, a cool moment for me to be there. Yeah, that was it. Definitely seemed like you were having a lot of fun while in the locker room, especially considering you also were able to hold the G League championship. And I just, I think it's just so interesting because there are a lot of the G League guys on this this RGV team that I think a lot of NBA teams should get a look at. And you talk about guys like Gerald Green. I also have to bring up Trevor and Queen and. Yeah. Um, you know, Dacian Knicks as well, two guys earlier in the season who are making an impact and getting it done on both sides of the floor. Let's hop in right to that championship game, though, because you mentioned it was a a, a pretty one-sided series with the Vipers getting the win over the Bluecoats in the, in the G League Finals. We talked to April Marie earlier, um, actually like a couple of months ago, and she's a sideline reporter for the RGV Vipers. She talked about how good this Vipers team was with the amount of talent on this team. So, Jeffrey, I want to ask you, what factors helped them win the championship this season? Yeah, you know, that's funny that you mentioned April Marie because I was just with her um, at the Vipers game, and we talked a ton, and so, yeah, she's great. But the Vipers, yeah, it was a, it certainly was a one-sided series. Um, the Bluecoats got the short end of the stick, of course, because Charles Bassey wasn't playing. That's a guy that's, you know, an all, all G League performer, right? An all rookie performer and an all defensive performer. And he's a guy that gets you 20 and 15 every single night. You know, Charlie Brown, unfortunately, was out through COVID protocols. And so he missed both games. That's 20 points right there. Jaden Springer gets hurt. 
right? And Jaden Springer was a guy that was averaging 29 points through the playoffs. All of a sudden, Jaden Springer goes down. He plays 11 minutes in game one, doesn't even suit up game two, right? So, And then also Braxton Key got called up the last two weeks of the season. So that's 20 points right there and an all-defensive performer. So you were missing, the Blue Coats were missing four guys that'll get you 20 points tonight. They were missing almost 100 points right there. I know Miles stepped up and he played great, you know, um, it was, but it just wasn't enough. You know what I mean? Like they just didn't have enough firepower on that team to really, to really take it the extra mile. And so it was tough because going into it, I was like, wow, they are playing a shell of the blue coach team or what they could be. You know what I mean? And, but as far as the Vipers go, you know, the Vipers were such a loaded team this year from top to bottom, you know, and of course you mentioned Trevlin Queen who won MVP then also won G league MVP. Then they get, the greatest gift in the world by having Dacia Nix come back, right? He was with the Rockets, and then they sent him back for the Western Conference playoffs. And then in the finals at 20 years old, he just turned 20, he averaged nearly a triple-double. He was 0.5 assists away from averaging a triple-double for the series. And then Fiondu Cabangeli, who was a first-round pick a couple of years ago, you know, he's a guy that's an NBA center. You know, he's a, he could be a good backup center, provides great energy, um, can hit the three, like— Fiondu Camigueli is probably the best shooting big man we have in the G League right now. He shot 45% from three this year. And then on top of that, you know, you have Tyler Bay coming off the bench. And Tyler Bay is a guy that, to me, is like a Sean Marion type, right? He's 6'7", runs the floor really well, just super athletic and plays hard defense. Like A guy like him could be on a roster just as a great role player and the energy he provides. And he's been in, in and out of the league, but somehow he's I think he's going to find a way to stick. And then, you know, Christian Vital comes off the bench. He's averaging 14 a game. Gerald Green, like I said, was averaging nearly 20 uh, at the start of the season, finished the year averaging about 17, but he could come off and get you 10 points. And so they were just unbelievably deep from top to bottom. I didn't even mention Anthony Lamb. You know, Anthony Lamb was kind of like the unsung hero of that team in the sense where, you know, every time he would step on the court, he's 17, eight rebounds, four assists a game. You know, doesn't really say a word, you know, in terms of he's a more of a quiet guy, so he doesn't get a lot of the attention. But he's a guy that could probably be the best player on a lot of teams in the league, you know, and on the Vipers, he was the third or fourth option. So they just had a lot of working pieces for them. And then altogether, even with the healthy Blue Coats team, I think they probably still would have won the series. I don't, it certainly would have not have been the two blowouts that we saw in game one and game two. But either way, I think that they were poised this year to win the series. I think the Vipers are just a well-oiled machine. You have a lot of great talent on this team. Um, I mentioned earlier, Trevor and Queen, he had a 44-point game in Game 1. Yeah. And then Dacian Nix, like you mentioned, a triple-double in Game 1 as well. He actually called himself a steal earlier in the season. And it's interesting because he was on the G League Ignite team the season prior. And I felt like we didn't see the best of Dacian Nix last season. This year, we've seen the best of Dacian Nix. I think that he's definitely played himself with an opportunity to advance further and get into the NBA. You talked about uh, Cabin Gelly, and I want to make one quick point about him. Eight blocks in game one. I think he's a, a very strong shot blocker, and I think he's a great interior defender as well. I just don't think Delaware had an answer for him down low and trying to stop him. But... Those were a couple of players that really surprised me in this game. I definitely think that they all have a chance to go to the, to go to the next level. I hope they get that opportunity, and I think it would it would just be great to see more talent on this Houston Rockets team that is young and exciting to watch. Because even 
like this year with guys like Jalen Green, Christian Wood, you know, Alperin Sangoon. This the Rockets have a lot of young talent where they can play the long game, much like Oklahoma City's doing. They can build up that talent, and then in a couple of years, they could be a really dangerous team. Yeah, they could. They could. And one thing about the Rockets is, you know, the Vipers became sort of my favorite team over the course of the year, or actually starting from last year when they had KPJ, you know? So to see them use their G League team so much where the guys who are on their G League team are consistently filtering in and out of their uh, the parent team, you know? I think they use the G League system just as good as anybody in the league and seeing these guys develop. You know, we saw what Kevin Porter was doing was doing towards the end of the season where he was putting up, you know, 28, 7, and 7 a game. Same with Jalen Green when he went on that streak of 30-plus point games. And then every once in a while, you know, Josh Christopher would come out and have 20-plus, right? And so, yeah, they have a, an unbelievable young core. You know, you throw Dacian Nix, you give him a couple of years, you throw him in that mix. Maybe Trevor Queen finds a role on that team as well. And you're right, it's like all these guys – with the exception of Jalen, you know, being an Ignite alum, all these other guys are Vipers alum. And, you know, they're getting a chance to show it at the NBA level. So I love what the Rockets are doing and how they're developing these young players and how they're sending them to the G League to get this, the experience. And so, yeah, like I said, they use that system just as well as anybody in the league. And, you know, when you think of the G League system, you think of maybe the Spurs, you know, the way they use theirs, um, the, the Raptors, the way they use theirs. They're up there in that category. I would have to say RGV's up there now, too, um, the Houston affiliate. And you look at a couple other players. You mentioned Josh Christopher as well. He was a draft pick in the 2021 draft, goes down to the G League. He's proven himself to be a strong player coming off the bench, giving them that offensive spark plug that RGV needs um, in a lot of these games. So I think that depth that we were talking about earlier, he's another guy that can add to this depth. And I think even like going further than just the G League season, I think in the summer league, we could see a lot of these guys have breakout games. I think we could too. I think we could too. You know, Josh Christopher showed that he's capable of going off for 21 given the opportunity. He'll probably come in summer league this year and average like 20 plus being all summer league first teamer, you know? Um, so, but yeah, they have just so many weapons and just give it a couple years. It's like these guys are so young, right? When I think of, you know, Jalen, KPJ, it's like they feel like they've been around forever, you know, like not forever, but they, they've they been big names for a while dating back to high school, right? So they feel older than they are. It's hard to believe, you know, KPJ is only 21, right? Jalen's only 20. You know what I mean? Dacian just turned 20, you know, but if you followed him since high school, it's like, oh man, I've been following these guys for like four years or so. They feel like they should be like 25, but no, they're just starting adulthood at 20, 19 years old. So let's talk about the G League playoffs overall. As we mentioned, the RGV Vipers winning the championship over the Delaware Bluecoats. But breaking down a lot of these teams in the playoffs, Jeffrey, what stood out to you about the playoffs? Whether it was a team, it was a player, a, a, a player performance, or a stat. Um, what stood out to you? What stood out to me the most? I would say, you know, what stood out to me the most about this playoffs was that when I think of star players, Right, I think of players that are really good in the regular season and then take their game to the next level when it means the most. You know what I mean? And we saw Trev Queen do that, right? He was the the G League regular season MVP, comes in the playoffs, dominating the playoffs, then game one the finals, sets the tone with 44 points, which is the second most of all time. Dacia Nix. Dacia Nix had a really, really good regular season. Um, he probably should have been an all-G League you know, all G League member, but he wasn't selected. There's just so many guys in so few spots. 
But he comes in the finals game one and has a 31-point triple-double, right? And nearly averages triple-double for the series. And then you know, even Miles Powell. Miles Powell had a really great a really great regular season where he was putting up 23 points in 25 minutes off the bench. You know, all these guys are out. Braxton's out. Um, Charles Bassey's out. Charlie Brown's out. He comes in and is putting up nearly 30 points a game in the playoffs. And so that's one thing I love to see is I love to see stars being stars and elevating their game. I remember Shaq every year says it when he's talking about star players. He's always like, you know, if I'm a star player in the regular season, in order to really solidify myself, I need to increase my scoring average by like four or five points during the postseason, right? And these guys did that. They took their game to the next level, and they made more of a case for them to be NBA role players because now, you know, Trev's on his two-way, Miles Powell's on his two-way, right? They're not full-time NBA players yet, but, you know, given their performances this postseason, I feel like teams are looking at them and really considering them as full-time options at some point. I would have to agree, and I think it's more about playing the long-term game with, with some of these G League players because you mentioned earlier, you know, there's a lot of these guys that are 19, 20, 21 years old that are getting ready to advance in their pro career. This is like the next step in their pro career. And you even seeing guys like Trevor and Queen who just became the MVP of the finals, you know, even a guy like Miles Powell, who Jalen is a huge fan of coming out of Seton Hall. And he was a huge factor in Delaware making it this far uh, in the G League season. Those are two guys that I think could get in another fair shake in the NBA. We've seen a little bit of both of them in the NBA. Queen with the Rockets. Powell, he was on the Sixers. He was also on the Knicks as well. I feel like there is that opportunity for guys like them to shine in the NBA. I want to bring up another guy, and this is um, strictly on a performance basis. Delano Banton, who had 34 oh. points, 11 assists, and 8 rebounds for the Raptors. I think that this is a guy who can make a huge impact coming off the bench, even on this current Raptors team. You could slide him in and give him maybe 15 to 20 minutes and allow him to get a lot of his scoring on the floor. But I think that his performance um, with the 31 points, 11 assists, 8 rebounds in the Eastern Conference Finals, um, I thought that was huge. Delano Banton was unreal to watch, you know, and I didn't get to see any of those games live when they were playing, the Raptors on five were playing at home. I was in RGV in Motor City at the time, but it was unbelievable to watch. I mean, 6-7, the way he handles the ball, the way he starts a fast break and then finishes it by himself. I mean, it is incredible. And to tell you the truth, if Delano Banton had played more games this year, he probably would have been in the running for MVP as well, right? Because the Raptors on a five were an amazing team this year. They had the number one defense, um, but he just didn't play enough games. And so it, it, it it's a slippery slope because you don't want to reward the guy that's only played, you know, a quarter or a third of the games of the season, right, with an award like that. But, yeah, he is a guy that if he had been a full-time G-leaguer, would have been up there in that top two or three, you know, vote for MVP. But him and Champagne together during that playoff run were were insane. They were missing a presence down low, though. You know, Isak Bonga wasn't healthy, and then Reggie Perry had gotten called up, and so they just didn't have enough depth down low to really like push them over the edge. But throughout the season, they were so dominant defensively, and we saw it during that Eastern Conference Finals game where they let up. I think it was 141 points. You know, they just had no interior presence whatsoever, and then they had guys scrambling all over the court. But yeah. On a fully healthy Raptors on a five team, that they would have certainly been a problem. They probably, in a way, would have contended. A healthy Raptors on a five team and a fully loaded 
uh, Delaware Blue Coats team would have been a heck of a matchup, but they were just missing so many bodies. Yeah, and you talk about Justin Champagne, 36 points, 10 rebounds. He shot yep. 13 of 27 from the floor. This is a guy who can attack the boards at a pretty high rate. And, you know, you look at his interior play on both sides of the floor. He can score down low. He can defend down low. This is a guy that I think can be a really strong interior defender to any team, even if he doesn't get called up to the Raptors. But then you talk about Reggie Perry. Missing him, I thought, was huge because I think he's that other piece that the Raptors were missing. You had Champagne on one end, but I think Perry makes up that other uh, the other piece of the backcourt duo that the Raptors had. And I think that was another huge loss too. But Jeffrey, who are some other players that have stood out in these playoffs to you? That stood out in the playoffs. You know, their their run didn't last nearly as long. Long behind me, Echenique was a really good one. Ever since Greg Monroe got called up, he was just, you know, their go-to guy. He was probably their best player towards the end of the season. And he finished the year averaging about 17 and 10. And, you know, Throughout the playoffs and end of the regular season, they just fed him the rock, and he's just such a bully down low. He's probably, you know, he's around almost seven feet. He's probably like 270 pounds, you know what I mean? And there was just no one in the G League that could guard him straight up. Um, He was a guy for sure. I think of some other good ones. The thing is that a lot of these runs didn't last very long, you know? Um, Xavier Moon was another good one. He's a guy that started the year as basically a, a virtually unknown. You know what I mean? He started the year unknown for the Agua Caliente Clippers. He established himself as one of the fastest point guards in the league. One of the he's, he's a lot like Tyus Jones in a way where he's like super fast, takes care of the ball, barely turns it over. Um and then he was a guy that averaged, you know, about 18 points and seven assists throughout the season, led them to the Western Conference Finals as the number two seed. And, you know, same thing with the Agua Caliente Clippers, you know, last three weeks of the year they lose Moses Wright to a two-way deal with the Mavericks and suddenly they're without an all G League first team member right so it's like the thing that's the thing about the G League is that there's so many moving pieces where you could think okay we have this core and this is our established group right all of a sudden one gets called up to one team one signs a two-way with another team maybe someone gets hurt all of a sudden you're playing with you know a shell of what you possibly could be if you had everyone healthy and everyone available and so it's one of those things where it's like you never know who the top performers are going to be in the G League because rosters change around so much where a guy who's warmer the bench at the beginning of the year could be a starter by the end of the season. And then you never know who's going to be the champion because so many guys get called up. So many guys get traded, you know what I mean? And so the rosters you see at the beginning of the year are never the rosters at the end of the year. And you talk about those call-ups and there were a lot of call-ups this season. And I have the numbers actually right in front of me. One thing that's been great about the G League has been the call-ups. 117 players, 164 call-ups this season. I think we just need to reiterate, Jeffrey, how impactful and how no- and how noteworthy these call-ups have been. Because earlier on in the season, you know, a lot of teams were were you know losing out on a lot of players, and there were some injuries in before uh, in the beginning of the season, and it seemed like the G League was ready to go with a lot of players that were ready for their call-up. So how impactful have these call-ups been now that we look at the G League season um, as, a, as, a, um, as a whole and it's completed? How impactful have these call-ups been this season? Oh, you know, I always say it was the best time to be a G Leaguer and also the worst time to be a G Leaguer because – 
you know, we had a hundred plus guys get an opportunity of a lifetime to play in the NBA. Now, a lot of these guys had played in the NBA before, you know, they weren't all first time call ups. But, you know, even if you've been called up two or three times before, getting an opportunity to play again, whether it's on a two-way or a 10-day contract, is an amazing experience because that's what every G-Leaguer is fighting for. But then on the flip side, you know, if you were a guy on kind of the cusp of getting called up and then it didn't work out in your favor, you got to be thinking to yourself, everyone got called up this year. You know, everyone got the opportunity but me, you know. And on Instagram, you know, I follow all these guys that play in the G-League and, some of it was like a little bit depressing to look at. I mean, on one side, like I was saying, you know, you had the guy being like, thank God for this opportunity. I've been waiting my whole life for this. And then there were all these other guys that are putting in work. You know, guys that are averaging maybe 16 points a game, 17 points a game, good numbers, and are doing it for years. And unfortunately, they were not the ones selected. And so they got to be thinking to themselves, like, what do I have to do to get a call up if I can't get a call up during the COVID season, you know? And so I felt happy for a lot of players, but then I felt bad for a lot of players too. But, you know, the thing about the season that made it so interesting was that a lot of the guys that did get called up were guys, like I was saying about Xavier Moon, were, on, were not on anybody's radars to even be on an NBA roster for 10 days, right? And so I'm just thinking, you know, look at Craig Sword. You know, Craig Sword was a guy that for four years has been one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. But if you look at just his numbers, right, he's never averaged over 10 points a game for a season. If you look at just the stat sheet, it looks a little bit like, oh, he's a good role player. But you don't really see the impact until you watch a game and see what he does on the defensive side of the ball. And then he gets the call up from the Wizards. And I was really happy to see that because a lot of times these defensive guys who don't put up, you know, these eye-popping stats don't really get the recognition they deserve. And so I was happy to see him get the call up. And then, you know, Scotty Hobson was another one that I was really happy for him playing for the OKC Blue coming back to the G League after playing really well for a number of seasons. And then at age 32, he gets the call up and then scores his first NBA bucket. He had scored a free throw like four or five years ago, but he scores his first NBA bucket at age 32. And then another one, we've talked about him before in the past, was Kiefer Sykes. You know, he hit that $2 million game winning shot. Uh, I'm sorry, $1 million game winning shot for Beheim's Army and TBT. Ends up getting signed by the Pacers that day and then spends the beginning of the season with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. And he's putting in work at the time he was leading the G League in assists per game. He was a good, you know, 18-8 and eight player every single night. But then he gets called up by the um, Pacers and then balls out and has that, like, near 20-point game in the Garden. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know, this guy's 28 years old, a rookie in the NBA, finally getting his opportunity after playing in five different continents and, like, 12 different countries. And so that was the one beauty about this year was that it gave guys opportunities that otherwise probably wouldn't have gotten them. They gave them a chance to get to be in the NBA and call themselves an NBA player. I think that call-up number could have easily reached 200 this year because I think you talked about a lot of guys that you mentioned. Um, I want to bring up a couple other guys. Craig Randall II for the Nets. This is a bona fide bucket getter, and he basically tried out for a team, ended up making it, and became one of the top scorers in the G League. You talk about another guy, Gabe York, who just got called up at the end of the season from uh, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, now got called up to the Pacers. He was a guy who was putting up like a couple of 35, 40-point games in the G League, and he just kept shooting the lights out every single time he had the chance to get the ball. I think those those were two other guys that were that definitely uh, got – one of them should have gotten a call up. I think Craig Randall definitely could have gotten called up this year. Uh, 
Gabe York finally got called up toward the end of the season. But then I want to bring up, since you, since you mentioned defense, and I think those, those guys don't get a lot of appreciation either, Shaquille Harrison, I think he is one of the top defenders in the G League. He's actually um, one of the strongest defenders in terms of holding their opponents to below their season average. And he's definitely has that capability. I think his versatility on defense has been huge. Um, but I think those were just a couple of guys that I think um, deserved a call up. I know Gabe York was already called up, but I think if he had a little more time in the NBA, we definitely could see what he could do. We definitely could have seen what, what, uh, how his game transitioned from the G league to the NBA. Yeah, for sure. And you know, with Craig Randall, it was an amazing season for him because you're right. He did start off as a tryout player and then didn't really get that much run and showcase. It wasn't till the beginning of the regular season. Did he really start to come in in his own? Um, he got the short end of the stick because he did not get a call up this year. And then he didn't even make the all rookie team. He was averaging 27 points a game and then he didn't make an, you know, if you didn't make the all rookie team, you're still not going to make the all M, the all G league team. But I was looking at the teams that were announced and I was like, I, I know there's someone missing. And I was like, wait, how does Craig Randall not make this list averaging 27 a game? And at the time, you know, that he was really going off the nets were one of the best teams in the East, you know, and, Unfortunately, like after that, Tyrone Wallace gets called up and then Craig Randall gets hit, gets hurt. And so they fall off a little bit. But I was like, wow, who was voting on this? I mean, I know who was voting on it, but uh, what were they thinking? Not putting a guy who's averaging 27 points per game on the all rookie team. Part of me was thinking that, you know, they were looking at Craig Randall as like just a gunner. You know what I mean? Where he has the greenest light in the league. He can shoot 25 to 30 times a game whether he's on or off, right? And that's why he's getting his numbers. But his efficiency wasn't bad, right? It's not like he was shooting in the 30s or anything. He was shooting in the mid-40s, right? That's normal for, uh, you know, a shooting guard who's attempting as many shots as he is. And so I don't know exactly what it was that he didn't get those votes. I'm happy that he got most improved player. But to me, it didn't make sense as to why he got most improved because I was thinking, where was the improvement in the sense where he started off the regular season averaging close to 30, then he ended the regular season averaging close to 30. So tell me where the improvement was. There's a lot of guys on the most improved list who were averaging like three points start the year. By the end of the season, they're averaging close to you know near 20. Those guys should be considered the most improved. I felt like the most improved award that they gave him was kind of just like one of those things where we're like, okay, we have to reward this guy in some way, right? Let's give him this award. So that really didn't make sense to me. Um, but yeah, Gabe York was another one that you said. Gabe has been grinding for like seven years to earn himself an NBA opportunity and then got his his deal with the Pacers. And then there was a really cool moment where he scored seven points in his first game. And then Rick Carlo after the game gave him the game winning ball. You know, so I thought that was really cool. And so, um, you know, I'm happy for these guys. Craig Randall will get called up, you know, eventually, maybe next year. He signs a two-way or something like that. I was just shocked that, number one, he didn't get caught up this year. And then, number two, he was not on any of those all-G League teams. And speaking of players not on any of the all-G League teams, I'm actually looking at uh, G League TV's post for the all-snub teams. And we talked about a good handful of these players, but a couple other ones we haven't really touched on. Uh, Dewan Hernandez from Westchester. Chris Clemens from the, from the Maine Celtics. Mac McClung from the South Bay Lakers, who actually won Rookie of the Year this past year. Derek Walton from Motor City, and Peter Corny, uh, Peter Cornell from the Grand Rapids Gold. Those are a couple other players that I think could definitely find themselves in an NBA uniform 
down the line. I know Mac McClung suited up for the Lakers in the last game of the season and capped off his NBA debut with a reverse dunk. Um, so I thought that was that was great to see. But I would love to see a guy like Chris Clemens, uh, Chris Clemens or Derek Walton Jr. in the NBA too. I would too. I, you know, Chris Clemens is another one. I know he got his little short ten day with the Hawks, but. Um, it was really after his 10-day that he really started going crazy, had those three straight triple-doubles, had multiple 40-point games. And I, he was a guy I was like, okay, he's got to get he's got to get called up now. He's got to get called up now. But still, after that Hawks call-up, never got another call-up. And you know, there's a lot of things where, you know, he is 5'10", right? So that's probably a thing where it's like, okay, you know, he's 5'10". Um, he's kind of like Craig Randall where he has a reputation of just being like a gunner, you know what I mean? Where he'll just shoot anything and everything. Right. And on the Celtics this year, they were not a good team at all. Right. And so he had the greenest light to do basically whatever he wanted without repercussion. And so, but that, with that being said though, he played phenomenally. He was player of the month. He deserved to be on a roster at the end of the season. Um, And one thing about Chris Clemens was that, he tore his Achilles just a year ago. Right. And to, so to see him bounce back and he was, he said in an interview, he was like, I was going to be part of that Rockets rotation, you know, last season when, you know, they weren't very good and they were sending guys in and out of the G League. Um, he was going to be part of that Rockets rotation. He ends up tearing his Achilles, misses the entire year, has his breakout year in the G League. I, I was glad to see him get called up, but I would have loved to see him be on the NBA roster right now for a playoff team. I think seeing Chris Clemens on, an, on a playoff roster, like you mentioned, would be huge. I mean, he's athletic. He can shoot the ball. He could pretty much do a lot of great things on the offensive side of the ball. And I think he's he's another guy that I think could provide an offensive spark plug off the bench for a team like Atlanta, like you mentioned. And it's interesting with Atlanta because Jalen actually brings this up a lot more because he's a Hawks fan. The plus minus for when Trey Young leaves the floor is an interesting stat because it just seems like the Hawks have not been getting that bench scoring. And it, I feel like somebody like Chris Clemens could have provided them some bench scoring even somebody like Sharif Cooper who had a great uh, G League season for the College Park Skyhawks I thought he could have provided some some more scoring off the bench if he was called up so I think those were just a couple of players as well so let's talk about the G League Ignite team we can't do a G League episode without talking about the Ignite team so now we're in year two of the Ignite team Jeffrey, have you seen any differences between year one of the G League Ignite team and year two? Any differences? You know, the Ignite team year one came in with so much hype. You know, Jalen Green, before he even put on an Ignite jersey, was a superstar, right? He had like a million followers coming in. Kaminga had, you know, like half a million, something like that, right? So these guys were coming into the G League already established from what they did in high school as stars, you know? And so they came in with so much hype and everyone was tuned in. I feel like that died down a little bit in year two, right? Not saying that the talent was any worse or anything like that, but, you know, Jaden Hardy, really good player. Michael Foster, really good player. Marjan Bochamp, really good player. But these guys did not have, like, the social media and high school following that Jalen and Jonathan had coming in, right? So there was a lot, a little bit less hype on these guys. And because of that, I feel like just throughout the season, maybe people were less tuned in as to what they were doing. 
Um, last year in year one, I felt Ignite got significantly better as the season got, you know, progressed, right? Where they start off the year really, really shaky. And it was like, okay, are, are these young guys going to be able to put it together? By the end of the year, the, the Ignite veterans and the mixture of young guys really clicked, right? And they were a playoff team last year in the bubble. This year, it kind of took the opposite turn where they start off the year on a rough patch. It seemed around December or so they really kind of figured it out and they were in every single game. And then when the Ignite tour started back in like around January or so, it seemed like everything that they had built up leading into that just diminished. And I don't know what it stemmed from. I don't know what the issues were exactly. But, you know, there was a lot of these games on the Ignite tour, which they only won one. They only won one game. But there were a lot of these games where they were out of it by halftime, you know? Like, they, it was a 20-point game by halftime. And I was like, you know, these guys are all going to be first-round picks, you know? Whether lottery, end of the first round, maybe early in the second round, all these guys are going to be NBA draft picks. You know, they have to show a better fighting than this, right? And so it was one of those things where I was like, last year they built up a lot of momentum and they increasingly got better and better. And because they got better and better, people were more invested in it. Well, this year it was kind of the opposite. With that being said, you know, this is just a short-term stop for all these guys. You know what I mean? Like all these players, except for Scoot Henderson, are going to be there one year, then they're off to the NBA, right? So I'm not saying that, you know, it's not the end of the world for them. You know what I mean? Like where, you know, they have one bad season, maybe they'll win as many games as they want. But if they matured as players and as people, they got what they wanted out of it in terms of their progression um, and, and, and making sure they're NBA ready, then I would say like it was a win for them either way. I think it's interesting you bring up the social media aspect of things because I think last year's team, I agree with you. I think that social media following was there because Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga were such great high school talent that everybody was invested in what they were going to be able to do with the G League Ignite team. And they ended up being two of their best players and two top draft picks in that year's draft. This year, it's interesting because I agree with you also in the fact that I don't believe that this year that this year's team had as big of a social media following right. that last year's team did. Now, I think things can change because if you follow college basketball, Emony Bates just declared for the transfer portal in Memphis. So there's an opportunity. I, I think there's an opportunity for Emony Bates to go to the G League and try it out. But then there's that route where he can transfer and he goes to um, a different college. And I think he could end up at a program like Kentucky or Duke or North Carolina. Um, I think there's that option. But when you talk about social media following, I think Emony Bates is, is somebody that can really boost that up. And maybe the G League Ignite could make a play for him. Yeah, I would love to see it. You know, I know he was considering it out of high school. And that was like in his top five was going to Ignite. Now, I would I would love to see Bates go to any G League team, you know, even if it's not Ignite. He goes anywhere in the G League, automatically, you know, he's a household name just from what he did in high school. And so it's kind of like those that thing with Jello, right? I felt like the G League this year would have exploded if Jello Ball had a good year. You know what I mean? And he started the year with like a 22-point game. And the first game, I was like, oh, my God, he's going to be a 20-point scorer. You know, he's going to blow up um, our social medias and stuff like that. You know, he's going to take the Greensboro Swarm and make them like – you know, a nationally televised type of product, you know, because everyone wants to see Jello play. But unfortunately, it just never happened. He only averaged like four or five points for the entire season. 
And it could have that same effect if Amani Bates decides to go to the G League and actually play as well. You know, that's the thing is that they have to go play well. But if Money Bates goes to the G League on any team, plays well, automatically whatever team he's playing for is probably going to have like a sold out fan base. Maybe not every night, but you know, much more than what the G League is used to. And so, yeah, whether he goes to Ignite or any other team, man, I'm all for it. Yeah, I think that the social media aspect of things. Yeah, I think the G League will get will get more attention with guys like Jello Ball and um, Emily Bates in the league. We've seen Jello Ball already with the Greensboro Swarm, and he's had a couple of he's had that good game that you mentioned, the twenty two point game. But he's been he's been okay so far. I know it's his first year. I think he's still trying to find his footing. So maybe another year is where I think we'll maybe see the best of him. But I think getting a guy like Emmy Bates to the G League, I think that would be huge, um, and garnering more attention to a league that's on the rise. Right. So let's also talk about some players on this on this G League Ignite team here in in a year two. Marjan Bochamp, Jaden Hardy, Mike Foster, all players that have first round pick potential. Let's also include Dyson Daniels in there as well. Jeffrey, what is the draft ceiling for some of these players on this? on this G League Ignite team? The draft ceiling. That's a great question. You know, at the beginning of the year, I would have said that we would have probably three first-rounders, right? Now looking at it, I do think that Ignite has four first-rounders, but the fourth being Michael Foster probably will not go in the first round. It'll probably be a second-rounder. But, you know, as far as like Dyson Daniels and Marjan Bochamp, these are guys that came in you know, even though they did have a little bit of a name, most fans did not even know them, right? And then watching them through Ignite this year, even though the team struggled, they increasingly got better and better. I mean, by the end of the year, Dyson Daniels, every time he stepped on the court was a triple-double threat, right? Every single night. And so he had one game where he had like 22 points, 17 rebounds, like nine assists. And I was like, oh my God, this guy is a legitimate NBA player. He's like 18, 19 years old. He's 6'6". It looks so comfortable handling the ball and as the primary distributor. He's a guy that I think will be the first Ignite player taking this year's draft. I think he'll probably go between like 10 and 13. And then Marjan Bochamp will be a couple picks after. A guy that you know, struggled a little bit throughout the season, but I'm still really high on is Jaden Hardy. You know, we saw Hardy, he's he's able to score at will. It's just that this year, you know, he's known as a shooter, and this year he didn't shoot very well. His percentages were low. Um, he had a couple games where he really, really struggled from the field. I think one game he went like, like 0 for 10 or something like that. But then he bounced back the next game and went like 10 for 15 and had 30 points, you know. So he's shown that he can score. Um, I think this year for Ignite, with him, it was like a little bit of a mixed bag because he showed that he was a good player, right? But he didn't show that he was the top 10 pick that everyone thought he was coming into this season, you know? So I've looked at a lot of diff- different mock drafts. And so a lot of people have him, you know, late 20s. Some have him mid 20s. One had him that I recently looked up, had him at like 19, you know? So anywhere from that range. But he did come into this year as a projected top five pick, you know, and I look at him and I'm like, you know, will he be a star in the NBA? I'm not sure. He's still super young. If he has a career like Contavious Caldwell-Pope, I think of him as like a better version, maybe a a higher ceiling than KCP, you know what I mean? But that type of player where, you know, he has sneaky athleticism, can score from anywhere. When his shot is going, he can get super hot. Um, If he can have like a, a better version of like KCP's career, then, you know, if you, 
spend a top 20 pick on him, you know, 20 to 25 pick on him, then that's a good, that's a pretty good investment. Um, but my favorite player, like I was saying on this team was Michael Foster Jr. I mean, he was, in my opinion, like a young Julius Randle. I remember on my G League TV page, I posted, I was like, hey, this guy is like, you know, I don't want to compare him to Julius because Julius is a 20 and 10 guy in the NBA, right? But I was like, he is showing signs of like, you look at his game, you look at his play style, very reminiscent of of a, of a Julius Randle. And people were in the comments being like, that is not a compliment. That is not a compliment. I was like, Julius Randle last year was an all NBA player, has a max deal, right? Like $180 million. Man, if anyone can even come close to that, then that's a compliment. You know what I mean? And uh, But he was a guy that towards the end of the season, was a 20 and 10 guy every single night, was playing against NBA players, played against, you know, Greg Monroe, played against um, Sergi Baca as well, right? And played really well against these established NBA vets. In my opinion, he's a first rounder, but a lot of these mock drafts have him in like the early second round. Um, and then that's not even touching on Scoot Henderson, right? So Scoot Henderson has another year left. He just turned 18 years old. Man, he showed flashes of being like Damian Lillard. He really did. Like, I was watching him. I was like, I cannot believe at the time he was 17. I cannot believe this kid is 17 years old taking these guys who were 24, 25 or older to school. You know what I mean? It was just a, an unbelievable thing to watch. And he has another year with Ignite. And then next year, he'll probably be like a top three pick. It's interesting you, meant, you mentioned Scoot Henderson because I just pulled up a post on G League TV. And there's an account, Global NBA Scouting. They mentioned that he kind of resembles a young Derrick Rose where he's able to score at will and he has that you know playmaking ability that reminds you a lot of, of, of Rose. He has a craftiness. He is very athletic. That's an interesting comparison. And I think that Derrick Rose in his, in his prime was a lot of those things. He was a high-level scorer. He was crafty. He was athletic. He was also, he was also a great playmaker. So I think that's a really interesting comparison. And you also mentioned a guy like Dyson Daniels. I think he's a great all-around player, and his upside is through the roof. I think that he has a lot of potential to succeed in the NBA, and I think he definitely will have a chance to be able to do that. Mike Foster, I think that uh, that's another interesting comparison you made with Julius Randle because he rebounds a lot like Julius Randle at a high, at a high rate. Julius Randle coming out of college – the one thing that he was known for was being a great rebounder. And this is a guy in Michael Foster where I think he can average 10 to 12 rebounds a game uh, consistently. He might not be able to do it his first year in the NBA, but I think in his second, third, fourth year, I think he can average 10 to 12 rebounds a game. So I think you made a lot of great points so far about a lot of these players. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if he can scratch like – 20% 20% of what Julius Randle has done in the NBA, then he'll be a success. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, like Julius Randle last year was probably, like, the best power forward in the league, if not, you know, like, maybe top two to have top three power forward in the league. And so if Mike Foster can be 25% of that, he's going to have a long career. So let's move on to kind of a quick hitter question to close this section of the podcast out. We saw a new team in Mexico, a new G League team in, in Mexico, I want to get your opinion on what other city, which other cities you think deserve a G League team. Now, in terms of you know having a team, more teams than the U.S., you know, like the Portland Trailblazers need a team. You know, what I mean, the Suns don't have a team either, right? And to tell you the truth, both of those teams are my least favorite teams in the league, just because they 
don't use the G League system at all, you know? Like, I don't know if you saw, um, you probably did, Greg Brown in the in the Summer League last year did that un- in-between-the-legs dunk. I was thinking to myself, wow, I would love to see that in the G League, but Greg Brown's on the Trailblazers, you know what I mean? Like, so I just can't stand the Trailblazers because they don't have a G League team. And then also I don't like the Suns, to an extent, because they got rid of their G League team, even though they're they're great, right? And they're the number one team in the league. But um, um, they all they talked about it for years, like putting a team in Vegas, right? But I recently saw a tweet that said, "I've been in Vegas for a week. No way they should put a sports team here, just based on like the environment." And so I I can definitely see that too. You know what I mean? Um, but I think it's okay where it's at right now. You know, having a team in Mexico City is good because they had a mixture of really good. Uh, South American players, and they also had uh, a, a few good American players too. This past year, though, they didn't play in Mexico City um, because of COVID restrictions. And so next year, I think they'll go to a full schedule, and teams will be traveling back and forth between Mexico City, which would be cool to see. Um, but yeah, in terms of like expansion, I mean, you know, I don't know what the league office is feeling, but that was just my two cents on like. I just think it'd be hard for them to go international or continue to expand internationally given you know those restrictions and then given like the the budgetary issues as well right i just think it'd be hard for them you know i think it would be interesting to see a team in seattle you know i know that they they they've been clamoring for a a pro team recently and you know there's there's a lot of talk about moving one nba team to seattle like moving the sacramento right. kings um but i think maybe like a start would be putting a G League team in Seattle and giving a team like, you know, maybe like Portland a, a G League affiliate because Portland's another young team in the NBA and they have a lot of young talent. Greg Brown, like you mentioned earlier, I think he's he's a guy that I think could really benefit from, you know, playing a couple of games in the G League. And he's really athletic too. He was a guy who, before the college basketball se- season started for him, he was a top 10 level player. Yeah. And yeah. he ended up falling out of the first round completely. So I think maybe putting a team in Seattle and giving it as uh, to Portland as their G League affiliate, I think that could be an interesting uh, scenario. I think that'd be a great idea. And actually, you're right. If there was a team that, uh, a city that would appreciate a G League team, it would be Seattle because they've been longing for a basketball team since the Sonics move. What was that? Maybe like 2006, something like that, you know? Yeah, like 2007, 2008. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I know that for, you know, 15 years or so, they've been desperate for basketball, right? And I, they feel scorned even now, almost 15 years later, that, you know, their Sonics moved to Oklahoma City and became the Thunder. And so uh, something like that I think would do great, right? It just depends. On, like, I I feel like the Trailblazers have been um, offered something like that, you know what I mean? And just because whether it's cost, whether they think they don't need it, they just haven't taken the bite, right? And so, but that would be, to me, if I had to think about it, you know, going back, that would be the best place to put it is in Seattle. Because you want to go to a place where it's not close to any other NBA teams. Kind of like what I said about RGV, you know, they're eight hours away from Houston. And so, you know, these guys are not saying, oh, let me go to the Rockets game, right? They're saying, let me go to the Vipers game and see Trev Queen and Dacia Nix, which I think is really cool. And so... You know, you need an area that would embrace a team like that, right? I think a lot of times in the G League, you know, they are in these areas where where the NBA team is just too close by, right? Like in Capital City, you're in our home team. You know, we're 10 minutes away from 
from Capital One Arena, right? And so it's like, I have $15. Should I go see a go-go game or can I just go see a Wizards game and sit in the nosebleeds? You know what I mean? It's almost too close, you know what I'm saying? And so even with like the Westchester Knicks, like the Westchester Knicks and then, you know, just not that far away is the New York Knicks. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like, oh, I'll just rather go to a Knicks game, even though the prices are inflated and it's probably going to cost you a hundred bucks for to sit in the last row. It's still like, you know, you got to weigh your options. You know, sometimes I look at like Maine, right? The Maine Celtics have a great showing every single every single game because you know, like what's in what's in Maine in terms of like pro sports, right? There's not many options, and so just like RGV, I think of some other ones that are really good. Um, in terms, oh, Santa Cruz. Well, to tell you the truth, Santa Cruz Warriors, the Warriors fan base, Dub Nation is so invested anyways, you know, but the Santa Cruz Warriors have sold out over 100 plus games, you know what I mean? And so that Santa Cruz fan base and area and community really rally around that team, you know what I'm saying? And so I, sometimes I'm like, okay, if we're going to start a G League team, I know that proximity matters, right? Because you do want to be close to your parent club because if a guy gets called up or sent down, you just want it to be like a quick drive, right? Or a quick quick plane ride or something like that but at, at the end of the day it's like you want to go into an area where you're embraced right and seattle is certainly one of those areas i think they would be i definitely think that proximity is definitely something to take into consideration i think even also like putting a putting a team in a state that doesn't have a, a pro basketball team like maine i think that was a great that was a great move by the Celtics to put a team in Maine because there are no pro teams in Maine. Right. You could probably put one in South Carolina because there are no pro basketball teams in South Carolina. You know, you could probably put a pro team in Missouri too because there's no pro basketball teams in Missouri. So I think there, there's there there's a lot of different uh, options for the G League to expand if they wanted to expand. For sure, for sure. And, you know, another thing is that it's like my friend is a photographer for the OKC Blue, right? And I watch a lot of the OKC Blue games on TV. Man, OKC Blue play like in, play in the same arena as the Thunder. You know what I mean? And it's like, and for some reason, G League games are also at weird times. You know what I mean? Like sometimes the games are like 1 o'clock, sometimes they're at noon. So that certainly factors into the number of people that attend the games too because it's like half these people are at work, you know, and, a lot of people don't even wake up to like 1030, you know what I mean? And so you wake up at 1030, then you have a game at 12. It's like, oh, it's too close of a of a cut. And so, um, but yeah, I look at, you know, OKC. The OKC, they play in the same arena as the Thunder. It's like, you know, I'll just wait for tonight to go see the, the Thunder game, even though the Thunder are basically a G League team, you know? And so, but yeah, go where you'd be most appreciated. I always think to myself too, I wonder what it would like, would it be like, and it, it would never happen, but to put a pro team in like Hawaii or something like that. I don't know if there's even a market for that, right? You know, like everyone's a tourist and the people who do live in Hawaii, would they embrace a team? But I know that in the past, I've heard of people trying to get like semi-pro teams in Hawaii. Like a couple years ago, there was this team called the Hawaii Hammerheads and they were trying to be like the first pro team, pro basketball team in Hawaii. They were like a minor league team. But I always wonder like, okay, that's a really cool thought of, bringing basketball to Hawaii. I just don't know how they would embrace it. You know, and I don't know what the market is like there, but it'd be cool for the players. So, I mean, someone said, Jeff, you can have a pro team as a player, right? You could live in Hawaii and operate as a professional basketball player there, or you could go to Vegas. I'm choosing Hawaii. You know what I mean? Vegas is fun too, but I would just choose Hawaii. I mean, I think that'd be an awesome place, but I just don't know, like I said, if there's a market for that. 
Yeah, there's. I, I think that's definitely something you have to consider as well because, like, what cities really want a basketball team? You know, I think obviously you know, you look at your Seattle's, you look at your Kansas cities, you look at even like your Louisville's too, because I think Louisville could get a pro team at some point. But I think that's that's a great point about marketability because I think it would be interesting to see teams in Hawaii or even like like Hawaii, Alaska, like like places that you like really don't like know if there's a market there for it, but like you test it out just to see it. I think it's sort of like what the NBA did with Vancouver for a while yeah. because they, they tested it out with Vancouver for a couple of years and the Vancouver Grizzlies ended up becoming the Memphis Grizzlies shortly uh, a short time after. So that's definitely something to experiment with though. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Vancouver would be kind of an interesting place, too. I mean, they haven't had their team in like 25 years, something like that, you know. I wonder what the market would be like for a team like that. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's a really interesting thing. It's just like there's so many cool cities. I just don't know if they'd be the best place to put a basketball team, right? But I know for the players, like living there would be fun. Right? I feel like I've been to Vancouver a couple of times. Living there would probably be fun. You know, I've been to Hawaii once. Like as a player, that'd probably be the best place to live if, you know, to enjoy, you know, the the, the combination of being a pro athlete and then enjoying the environment too. Um, it's just one of those things. It's like, can the team make money there, right? Will people actually care and go to the games? Um, is it easy for, I know Hawaii is certainly not, but like, is it easy for scouts and coaches of that pro team, right, of the parent team to visit those players? You know what I'm saying? Like, even when we were, I was at the Blue Coats game the other day when they played game two against the Vipers at Delaware, Doc Rivers shows up, right? Elton Brand shows up, you know, and I've been to games before where Sixers management is there. Um, and tell you the truth, at RGV for game one, uh, Raphael Stone, the uh, Houston Rockets GM was there, right? And so, like, these guys want to see these guys play. I'm, I'm sorry, these executives want to see these players play. And that's a lot of times more than just watching them on TV, right? They want to see him up close in person. They want to interact with them. And so a lot of times these don't make for, like, the easiest situations if they're in some of these cities. So we're in the home stretch of this episode, and let's shift our focus from this past season to next season. With the G League season over, Jeffrey, what are some things that you are looking forward to next season? Looking forward to next season. I would say, you know, this year the number of NBA veterans was absolutely crazy. You know, we had Isaiah Thomas, Quinn Cook, uh, Tyreek Evans played one game. Gerald Green came back out of retirement, won a chip. And there was like Mario Chalmers too, Langston Galloway. So there were so many NBA veterans. And a lot of these guys were kind of like on the fly, you know. We didn't know at the beginning of the year that IT was going to give the G League a shot. You know, we didn't know until a month ago that Quinn Cook was going to come to the G League. Um, Tyreek Evans, even though he's only lasted like one game in one quarter, his stint in the G League with the Herd, it was still cool to see him attempt to come back, you know. And so a lot of these times, we didn't know that these veterans were going to give the G League a shot. And it was it made for um, a great a great thing for our league because, you know, the attention that they brought us was insane. I mean, IT, when he went on that four-game streak where he was getting like 40 points a game, everyone was tuned into those games. You know, when Gerald Green first signed with the Vipers and, you know, his first like four games, he scored 20-plus points, everyone was watching the Vipers. You know, that that likes the Rockets, that remembers Gerald Green. And so next season, I'm excited to see like which players 
give the G League a shot. You know, for years I've been saying Michael Beasley come in the G League. I always see him practicing in Florida, right? I'm always like, okay, I wonder what that does for him uh, and what the G League, you know, does that do anything more for him than what the G League would do? You know what I mean? So I would love to see a guy like Michael Beasley come to the G League. I would love to see just more guys who are NBA veterans that are looking for another shot say, hey, you know what? I'm going to give this a go. So many guys last season gave it a shot, and it succeeded for them either winning a championship or getting called up. And so I'm looking forward to that. And then, you know, I know next season we're not going to have a, the number of call-ups we have this season because of the situation with COVID. But, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more guys get another opportunity in the NBA. And hopefully it'll be a lot of these guys' first time in the NBA. You know, I was so happy to see, you know, the Craig Swords, uh, the Kiefer Sykes, the Scotty Hobsons get called up to the NBA. And so I'm looking forward to more of these guys getting the opportunity. And then lastly, for next season, um, there's always guys that start off the year averaging like five points a game, right? And then, you know, the first 10 games, they average like five points. I'm sure during that time, it's like super frustrating for them because they're like, you know, I did not come to the G League to average this. But, you know, not everyone can be a star, right? And every single year, I love seeing the guys who were bench warmers at the beginning of the year establish themselves as stars at the end of the season, you know? And it's an amazing to watch because it's more just about perseverance. A lot of these guys just need an opportunity to play. You know what I mean? They just need the minutes. Um, and because, like I, I was saying, the G League roster shift around so much that all of a sudden you were the 10th man. Now you're the starting point guard just because, you know, your point guard on the team got called up and then another guy got traded or signed a two way or something like that. You know, so I always look forward to seeing the guys who make absolutely no noise at the beginning of the year become really, really good players by the end of the year. And a perfect example of that is a guy named Keaton Wallace on the Alga Caliente Clippers, who was literally averaging like three points a game in the first 10 games of the year. Well, then Xavier Moon gets called up, right? And then they had a bunch of injuries throughout the year, like, you know, different position, but like, you know, Harry Giles got hurt. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones. Oh, Brandon Boston didn't play as much. Jay Scrub got hurt too. And so all of a sudden, you know, Keaton Wallace comes in, a guy that had no name, and is averaging 18 points in the last two months of the season, you know? So I look forward to seeing those guys, like the true underdogs, who really take advantage of their G League opportunity and make the most of it and hopefully get called up. I think those are great points that you made. And, you know, when you talk about guys who I think we can get called up, we mentioned a lot of those guys earlier. Craig Randall was a guy that we mentioned earlier. Gabe York, who ended up getting called up, you know, I think that there's a lot of talent that has yet to be discovered. And I think that brings me to my next point with the Summer League. I think the Summer League could help the G League find more talent, especially considering that the NBA draft is coming up. There are going to be a lot of undrafted players and a lot of first round, second round guys are going to be, going to be making a name for themselves with the teams that they were drafted on. Right. I think that that's a huge opportunity for the G League to capitalize on some of these players. I'm also interested to see how year three of the Ignite team goes, given what we've seen from year one and year two. I think there's a lot of talented players that come out of the Ignite team. But now that we see Scoot Henderson in year two, how is he going to uh, how is he going to play? How is he going to perform uh, from year one and year two? What we're going what what's something that's going to change with this game? How is he going to get better? Um, you know, even some of these younger guys coming out of high school that don't want to take the college route, they want to go to G League. I'm interested to see the recruiting process of who they're able to get for year three. 
So those are just a couple of things that I'm really interested in for year three. Yeah, I agree with, uh, with all those things as well. You know, with Ignite, um, you're right. I'm really interested to see who joins Scoot Henderson next year. Um, that'll probably be, you know, I should have mentioned that too, is Ignite. Like, which young guys, which top prospects are going to join the team and then hopefully establish themselves and elevate their brand to become first-rounders and eventually NBA players. And then, um, but yeah, you know, it's one of those things where like every year the G League, in my opinion, has gotten bigger since I followed it. You know, I mean, this these past two years, I don't know necessarily about the bubble. Like the the bubble was hard because it was only the G League bubble. It was only like 15 games. You know what I mean? It only lasted like a month and a half or so. So it was almost too short for people to be like really invested in it. Um, but this past season, I think, was huge for the overall development and growth of the G League with so many veterans coming in and out, so many call-ups and stuff like that. And so um, I'm hoping that the G League is able to capitalize on that and further, you know, elevate itself beyond this year, right, where every year we have top-name veterans coming back. Every year we have, you know, maybe not 100-plus, but maybe like 60-plus call-ups every single year of guys getting an opportunity in the NBA. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see for sure. But like you said about Summer League, too, is that Summer League, in my opinion, is almost like another G League season, you know, because these rosters are just loaded with former G League guys, current G League guys, guys who are going to be in the G League, you know. I mean, even last year when we were watching, Shreve Cooper goes off, right? And he had that, I think he had that game winner in his first, in his first Summer League game, but he was averaging like 25 points. Uh, Luca Garza was averaging like 20 and 10 in the Summer League. And all these guys, you know, they look like NBA players, but you got to realize, like, hey, listen, they're 21, 22 years old, maybe younger. They're not ready yet for the NBA. They're also going on teams with established players. You know, Sharif Cooper was not going to play at this moment in his career over, like, a Trey Young. It's, it's not going to happen. He's not even going to get, like, decent minutes. And he didn't get decent minutes in the NBA. Send him to the G League. Let him get 35 minutes per game. Let him get 20 and 10 every single night. And so it's Sometimes it's like one of those things where we see these guys balling out in the summer league and we're like, oh, he's not a G League player. But majority of the time, these guys will end up in the G League, even if it's only for a couple of games like Cam Thomas did. And I agree because I think that there's there's that opportunity in the summer league that the G League has more talent to discover. And I think when you talk about the call-ups too, there could be a consistent rate of call-ups where it's like 60 guys, 70 guys that get called up every single year. And with the G League's rise, it, it could be more. It could be uh, it could be 90, it could be 100. But I think it's going to be really interesting in, interesting to see um, what goes on in the summer league and in the offseason. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And so, and I'm also looking forward to, like I was saying before, you know, the guys who are currently in the G League and have played a number of seasons in the G League hopefully get an opportunity in the summer league as well to really establish themselves and earn training camp deals. Because that's another thing is that if you earn the training camp deal, if you sign the exhibit 10 deal, that's an extra $50,000 in your pocket before you go and make the 37,500 in the G league. Right? So a lot of times people look at the G league rosters and they're like, Oh wait, players only making 37,500. Like that's pennies, you know? But then it's like, no, 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 not always because, some of these guys are two ways, right? Some of these guys are assignee players where they're on the parent team. They get called down. And then a lot of these guys are Exhibit 10 guys where they're on Exhibit 10 deals. They sign for up to $50,000 to be on Exhibit 10 and then sign with the G League team. So, you know, they're making significantly more money than they would otherwise. And so I'm hoping a lot of guys get that Exhibit 10 offer because that's 50000 in their pocket. You know, if you make 
almost $90,000 in a season, that's pretty good. So we're closing out this episode, and I have to thank Jeffrey for coming back on the podcast to discuss uh, the G League season and the playoffs and the call-ups and what to look forward to next season. But Jeffrey, I want to give you the floor here to close out the episode. Give us your final thoughts and anything that you have to promote. Well, Ryan, I appreciate you having me on again, man. Number three. And I feel like this won't be my last time, right? We didn't make it number four sometime soon, you know? Oh, yeah. It'll be number four. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I appreciate you having me on again, man. And, you know, in terms of anything to promote, I would just say, hey, you know what, guys, if you're into basketball, if you love the NBA, give the G League a shot, right? There are NBA quality players everywhere in the G League. And so, you know, just go to my G League TV page, give it a follow. Go to the regular G League pages, give those a follow too. And I would say, you know, I'm actually on the G League show. So I'm actually on the weekly G G League show every Wednesday. But today's the last episode. So it's like, there's no uh, until next season. But I would say, you know, next season when it starts, tune into that because we talk about all the top performers, everything that's going on in the league. And it's a hard league to really, like, keep up to date with because there's so many moving parts, right? So we address all those. And if you follow my page or you follow the G League page, you'll see all of that in a very condensed, uh, digestible version. I will have all those links and Instagram pages in the description below when the episode drops. Jeffrey, thank you again for coming on to this podcast today. Question of the day for our fans. What do you guys think of the G League season this past season? And what are you looking forward to next season? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to our podcast, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode.